0: It's the Football Digest Extra Time. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along as we recap on one of the craziest of campaigns. Liverpool bid farewell to their genie as Mane comes up with magic to secure a top four finish. Harry Kane takes home the golden boot, but will Spurs' golden boys still be at the lane come August? And Sergio signs off from City in style as the champions lift their fifth Premier League title. Joining me to get into all of that and plenty more, we have the Liverpool Echoes, Liverpool correspondent Paul Gorston, London football reporter for the Mirror. Express and Star, Paul Brown. Guys, I hope you're both well. Uh, Gorset, I'll come to you first. And In terms of the final day, there was obviously drama to be decided. The Champions League places, Liverpool in the end finishing third, but crucially as well, supporters in attendance and 10,000 at Anfield. What was the uh, the experience like? Do
1: you know what? It it was really good. It was a game that I've been looking forward to for, for weeks, really, even when it looked like Liverpool weren't going to have too much to play for, just because of how um, just soul destroying almost at times. I mean, I've, I've been been making plenty of gripes about how bad it's been this season with no fans in, and, and sometimes you feel like, you know, first world problems. You know, you getting to cover these these big games and and you know huge world stars you know across football week in week out, and and you're sitting there moaning about it. But I, I think. I think kind of grumbling to your peers and your colleagues, they can kind of get where you're coming from. But when you're moaning to your mates or whatever, and they're just they're just like, you know, grow up, you're getting to watch Liverpool every week. But uh, it was it was a really difficult season with with no fans in, um, you know, just it just felt like a training game every three days and, and there was no intensity and there was no kind of just no spark to it. So um knowing that there was gonna be ten thousand fans inside Anfield for for a good few weeks uh, meant that I was really looking forward to it and um, given the 1500 to 2000 that was in over December I knew kind of the impact that they were going to have um, and, and so, it, so it turned out to be I mean um, several of that Liverpool team yesterday just looked totally transformed by having a, a, a crowd behind them cheering them on almost from the first whistle the, the copper going through all the, the anthems you know all the Alay, lay, lay. and Ale, um, and Firmino, Salah, Album, they all got their own little songs and, and there was a new one for Thiago as well so um, it was great. I mean, the, the fans really did back the players when they needed it for, for a big game. And uh, and after about 15 minutes or so, you, you never really felt like Palace were going to hold out. Liverpool were creating plenty of chances and it was just a case of taking one or two of those. And, and so it turned out to be. So ultimately, uh, Liverpool were chasing fourth and they've ended up third somehow. And you can um, kind of forget about this uh, pretty miserable season. It's ended on a bit of a high. It's not going to have any lasting impact for them in terms of uh, not being in the Champions League and not bringing in who they want to in the summer so um, uh, a disappointing season but one with a, an agreeable end and Liverpool can uh, forget about it now and, and move on
0: Yeah Paul we've all been inside stadiums this season behind closed doors it's been a pretty soul destroying experience as, as Gosty was mentioning there you were at the Emirates on the final day Arsenal with not a great deal to play for looked as st- for a stage like they might finish seventh and get conference league qualification. But what was it, what was it like at the Emirates? Yeah, just,
2: just before I I touch on Arsenal, um, I, I think there, there definitely have been clubs this season who have, who have really struggled without fans in the stadium more than others. Both the Merseyside clubs have clearly really struggled with that. Um, and there probably have been some clubs who may actually have benefited from it slightly. I think probably West Ham, you could argue, it might even have been a little boost for them. They didn't have fans in there because, you know, there's been a lot of protests about the owners um, and they are just generally a fan base that, that can sometimes get frustrated quite quickly and and turn on the players so you know that that may have helped West Ham I don't know Arsenal yesterday was a very strange experience um there are still fans there obviously who hate the the American owners and there were protests again um I don't think um a lot was allowed through the the turnstiles in terms of you know, banners or, or the rest of it, but a lot of them brought homemade sheets of A4 paper and little placards they'd smuggled in under under coats and in, in bags, et cetera, and, and showed their displeasure at the end. Um, Arsenal won, played quite well. Nicola Pepe with with two goals finally showing perhaps why they paid 71 million for him, which I I guess was not to get in the Europa Conference League. But, you know, at least he showed up in in that one. Um, But by the end, the atmosphere was a bit odd because the fans were pleased to be back, obviously, and they did cheer their team on. They did celebrate the victory and they they were happy with with all that. But, you know, the elephant in the room was they, they hate the Cronkies and the signs came out pretty quickly after the final whistle. So there was a a big group of them in in one corner doing the anti-ball chance while the players were coming out to do the, you know, the the post-match walk around, which was a bit, a bit odd, you know, and then Gabriel loses a tooth getting elbowed while they're trying to give David Luiz a send off. It was all just very strange, but you have to say for Arsenal, I mean, people have described it as the worst season for 25 years and, and because they're not in Europe, that is a, a pretty massive failing for Mikel Arteta. He's had a lot to cope with over the last few months, so there might be some mitigating circumstances there. But I, I think in a way, and I said this in, in my match report, um all the fury against the the Cronkies and justifiably so for the the nonsense of the the Super League and, you know, various other things that fans have a right to be upset with. As as in a way, kind of taking a little bit of the heat off Arteta because he's a relatively new manager. Obviously, as an ex-Arsenal player, he's going to get probably a little bit more patience than than others might. And he does have a trophy in the bag. So that's all helped him. But this season has been pretty poor and, and to be trying to scrap away for a European competition that most people at Arsenal don't want to be playing in and failing on the final day is a pretty miserable end to the season for them. Um, The other thing that people might not have noticed about Arsenal is actually chaos trying to get into the ground yesterday. Um, I was told afterwards that um, Arsenal had chosen a new stewarding team for the game. So the security was run by a completely different firm and they just didn't really seem to know what they were doing. All the roads around the ground were closed off. So it was more of a, a fortress than the Emirates has been for most visiting teams all season. Um, and there were just queues of cars, of fans, trying to get in on, on the main road, backed up way past the lights, past Holloway Road tube. And, and some of us didn't even get into our seats until the game had started. So. I think that that needs looking at for for next season. And some of those fans probably weren't too happy to have arrived so late and, and not being allowed in, basically. But just the in general, a strange atmosphere, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I saw on Twitter the best form of protest from Arsenal with Josh Kroenke in attendance. Might have been giving the ball to Thomas Partey and letting him have a shot with his shooting record uh, this season. But in terms of, as you mentioned there, behind closed doors, West Ham actually just looked at it, ended up finishing with the second best home record, only Man City with mm. more points at home. So that's certainly backing up that point. Let's get into then the final day. And Gorsty, uh, uh, Adam Field, Liverpool started the day in fourth ahead of Leicester City on goal difference in the end finished third and looks quite comfortable in how they've found their passage into the Champions League but anything but in reality.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Liverpool have to win eight of the last ten games. Ten-game unbeaten run, you know, a couple of draws in there as well and, and picked up um, 20, I think i seen how on match today last night, 23 26. or four points. Yeah, 20 um, in the last 30, which is, you know, incredible really. Uh, Liverpool were really struggling around about mid-March. You know, that defeat to Fulham was the sixth success of defeat in Anfield, which is the fair time that that's ever happened um, for a Liverpool football club under 29 years of history. Shows you how bad it has been at times this season at Anfield um, they were the only 60 lost all season they just happened to be you know, on the spin um, incredible really and as, as Paul mentioned show, um, some teams have really struggled without fans Liverpool and Everton uh, probably first and second in that list Manchester United have done it as well I think Leicester have had a tough time without fans and um, so uh, getting getting the ten thousand in there yesterday was, um, was was a massive boost for for the players, and, and I thought Sadio money more than anyone looked like he he benefited the most. You know, he, he's been well off the boil for, for a while. To be honest, I know he scored against Leeds um, and someone else quite recently. um they're all major into one at the moment, but he hasn't been anywhere near you know his world class best for for a while. You know, certainly in twenty twenty one and. Uh, almost from the first whistle, he just looked like he was—he was sharp, he had a spring in a step—and um, so it turned out to be with his, with his two goals. You know, the first one was was vital, wasn't it? You know, bundling it in at the back post, and he's actually finished a, a fairly disappointing season with 15 goals, which, which isn't a bad return at all, really. So, um, I think next season, when when fans are in, hopefully um, more regularly and, and in larger numbers, we'll see um, a Liverpool team very unlike the one we've seen in in the early going of 2021. The likes of Thiago Alcantara, certainly finding his feet at the moment. Um, Players coming back from injury, Van Dijk, Matip, Gomez, you know, going to be getting in a new centre-back, whether that's Kabak or or someone else. Um, So, plenty of positivity going forward for Liverpool, which is something that few people predicted, you know, just just six weeks ago. So, um, yeah, all, all things considered. You have to look at this as as a bit of a successful season for Liverpool, given how, how bad it was looking just a few weeks ago.
0: Yeah, and they've ended as well, Paul, with three clean sheets in the last five games with a very rookie centre-back partnership, Rhys Williams and Nat Phillips. I don't think many people expected them to, certainly at the start of the season, to be featuring for Liverpool. But it has been sort of a a real, as Gorsey was mentioning there, a real good comeback for Jurgen Klopp's side. Ten games unbeaten, five wins in a row. And in the end, showing, I suppose, that kind of champions mentality they had last season to get themselves over the line.
2: Yeah, they've shown some balls, haven't they, to, to come back from where they were on, on, on the ground. But did anyone really not expect them to do something like this? Like I can remember Jamie Carragher on Sky writing them off saying, Oh, teams like West Ham and Everton have got a much better chance of getting in the Champions League than, than they have, look at the way they're playing. And I remember thinking even then, you know, that this team has still got some legs in them. I wouldn't I wouldn't count them out this early at all. Um brilliant run but let, let's face it all those other teams around them basically failed didn't they failed to take their chance they, they've all slipped up in, in some way or another they've all opened the door and Liverpool have stormed back through it so well, well done to them but you do have to look at what happened to, to some of those teams I mean Leicester will be absolutely devastated won't they to lose out the way they have again um, having been in the top four for so long you could argue that they're, that they're a team who really would have deserved to be in the, the Champions League again um, and, and even Chelsea I think Chelsea are are lucky to have squeezed in in the end. I think Tuchel made a couple of mistakes with his team selection, took a few games a little bit too lightly and thought that Chelsea would just be able to to roll those, those teams over rested a few players when he when he shouldn't have and it almost cost them um, and, and the teams below you know I mean even Everton had it in their own hands to finish in Europe at one point and have catastrophically blown it with what three wins in, in the last 12 Spurs collapsed lost the final Arsenal they won their last five games but basically too little too late there, there's a lot of failure in the league this season which made the last day dramatic and, and interesting Um and, and we have the top four that we do, but um, it, it's ironic that from a, a point where it looked like seems like Leicester and, and West Ham might again gate crash that party at the top, we're left with the teams you know with massive budgets all going back into the Champions League, and you have to say for football is that necessarily a good thing? Probably not.
0: Yeah, the same before last season, who made it, making it again. Before we get on to the failings of Leicester City, course uh, in terms of more sort of drama at Anfield, 12 minutes to go, Jorginho Wijnaldum substituted 237th and looks like a final appearance for Liverpool after five years at the club. He's been an absolutely stellar signing for Jurgen Klopp and emotional scenes at the end.
1: It was. Uh, it was always going to be that way, I think. Yeah. Um... He he was desperate to stay. Um, we, we we've written that on, on the Liverpool Echo side, you know, quite a few times. And, and his comments after the game were, were quite intriguing, really, where he said, you know, he would have loved to have stayed, but um, it hasn't quite worked out that way. And, and it's a shame, really, that Liverpool are letting go someone so important um, on a free transfer. You know, Sunday's game was was his fifty first appearance of the season, which is you know remarkable, really, considering that this is a player coming into the final days of his contract he was actually captain yesterday uh, he's one of the, the four captains if you like in this Liverpool squad alongside Henderson Milner and Van Dijk they're, they're almost the leaders of this squad and Liverpool are, are letting them walk away on, on a free um, you know he's going to be an absolute steal for someone in, in this market when you think of teams are going to be um, awash with too much money there's, there's going to, only going to be a handful of teams who can operate as close to normal as possible this season so for for and Allen to be going as a free agent he, he can have his pick I'd imagine as agents be been making noises about Bayern Munich and there's obviously talk about Barcelona um, Liverpool could find themselves in a situation here where he could go to Chelsea or he could go to Manchester City would certainly be a valuable asset for them so um, this to me is just a, just. it's going to be a big mistake for Liverpool I'm not too sure what the intricacies are of it behind the scenes but um what I gather, it's a case of he wants to be kind of remunerated with something that he feels befitting of his status in the squad. And, and Liverpool, um, whoever is negotiating these kind of things, don't see it the same way. Um, but you've only got to look at his importance to Klopp and, and how Klopp highly rates them to think that he's, he's as, as important as anyone in the, in this squad. So um, it's, it's just a um, sad situation that's come to this and Liverpool are going to be... Um, poor for it, and it's going to cost them easily thirty million plus to, to get anyone there as, as adequate as replacements as, as they can. So it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a rare misstep for Liverpool on, on this situation for me.
0: Yeah, Paul, what have you made of it? When he signed from Newcastle United five years ago, I don't think many people envisaged him doing quite what he did do for Liverpool. Scored in two separate Champions League semi-finals, helping Liverpool two finals, and of course he says there he's just going to walk away on a free. Um, I can
2: remember a lot of Liverpool fans being pretty upset with that signing, pretty un- underwhelmed and, and, and basically unimpressed. And uh, I think they've been proved wrong, haven't they? Because he's been a, a magnificent servant for Liverpool. Um, it, it's obviously not the reason why they, why half their season was, was woeful, but... The way that, that midfield has changed um, has definitely had an effect on, on Liverpool and, and the way they play in their season because the three of them um, over the last few years were, were basically key to everything Liverpool did. They allowed the other players to win them games. It was just a perfectly oiled machine, really, that those three in midfield. And A big part of that was Wijnaldum. So it does on the face of it seem pretty strange they'd be willing to let him go. Um, when a player leaves on a free and runs his contract down, there's always something going on behind the scenes. It means, means that the, the guy is not happy um it looks to me very much like Liverpool just wanted to go in a slightly different direction and, and weren't willing to throw money at him when they brought Thiago in and, and were looking to change perhaps the style of play slightly um whether it's a mistake or not I, I guess we'll we'll see but it, it looks like the most likely destination for him is Barcelona so unless a uh, unless a Premier League team do come in for him late in the day, at least Liverpool fans won't be seeing him regularly every week impressing in this country. But um, clearly a player still in his prime who's got a lot, a lot of legs and a lot of gas left in the tank. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure most Liverpool fans would be sad to see him go.
0: Yeah, definitely. In terms of Leicester City, then Gorsty, Brendan Rodgers at the helm there and two seasons in a row now, they've gone into the final day of the season looking to rub a stamp Champions League qualification and they've missed out. Of course, this year they have the comfort of the FA Cup, having beaten Chelsea to win that. But it does seem to be somewhat of an issue there for Leicester City and just not being able to get the job done because midweek when they fell out after Liverpool's win at Burnley, it was the first time all season they found themselves outside the top four.
1: Yeah, they've uh, they've been in the top four for the ninety three percent of the last two seasons. Would you believe, and, and on both occasions, not got into the Champions League. I mean, for me, Brendan Rodgers is is a top manager, and I think he's proven that um, across the course of his career. But obviously, what he did at Celtic isn't something that is done every day up in up in Scotland, and then he's just won last their first FA Cup taking them to the brink of Champions League football twice which for a club the, the size of Leicester is there's some achievement really I mean this for me is a better Leicester squad than the one that won the league five years ago um, that's actually you know a football miracle but this side generally is uh, has more depth to it and, and um, is generally a better squad I feel but yeah they, they've, they've just managed to come up short twice now haven't they and I don't think I don't think that has to be painted as, as failure for, for Leicester they might look at it I'd be bitterly disappointed with, with how the last few weeks have turned out, but um would have been a remarkable achievement for Leicester to have qualified for the Champions League, wouldn't it? Um, they, uh, they're a club on the up. Uh, they seem to be making shrewd moves in the markets and, and improving the squad every season. Uh, I like the look of Wesley for father. He's He's young and, and he's going to be a top player. So, you know, has really, um, you know, made them more solid at the back. Um, but for them, indeed, he's going to be a top player in, in a couple of years' time. And... And obviously, they've still got the old master up front, haven't they, Jamie Vardy? So, um, you know, it's disappointing for, for Leicester fans, of course, but they imagine they, they if they're looking at the bigger picture, they're thinking that, that they're going to be a team on the up. And, and for me now, it, it, it's not it's not a big six anymore. Um, there's been loads of talk about the Super League and, and the, the big six and the so-called big six. I think we just need to, to write that notion off now. I think Arsenal in particular and, and Tottenham are, are, are nowhere near it. Um, I think the, the top four as it is this season, will be the top four again next season and Leicester uh, are probably the the closest ones to to breaking that up. So um, it looks like it could be, um, I mean, as Paul says, the the teams with the deepest pockets in the top four again and um, they're going
0: to be the the top four to look out for again next season. But but Leicester, Leicester have had a great year. Yeah, you referenced it before, Paul. It was all in Leicester's hands really just a few weeks ago, but one win in their last five. It's allowed Liverpool and Chelsea in really. And I suppose the issue for Leicester is squad depth, isn't it? During the course of the summer, just trying to beef up the numbers that they have available. Because after Harvey Barnes' injury and James Madison, when those guys are out for a period of time, that's when Leicester seemingly look as though they struggle a bit.
2: Partly, yeah. Um, They're going to have a long-term problem trying to find the the eventual replacement for Vardy as well, aren't they? I mean, the guy's not getting any younger and he's still the the key, really, to them doing anything. Ian Acho's been brilliant at times this season, um, but they're going to have to find a long-term replacement to come in for Vardy and that won't be easy to do. I still think, ultimately, Leicester were massively unlucky with the way the fixtures fell towards the end of the season. Um, To have to play the team you've got in the cup final straight afterwards was obviously, I think that had a massive effect on, on Leicester because having lost the cup final, Chelsea were just obviously so determined to get their own back and, and seeing, um, you know, the, the controversial uh, celebrations in the dressing room when the pennant was thrown on the floor clearly wound up a lot of the Chelsea players. And I went to that game at Stamford Bridge and you could just tell they were absolutely at it from the first moment. It's, it's the, the most on it I've seen Chelsea all season. That just not that just would not have happened if they hadn't played Leicester and lost at Wembley in the way they did a few days earlier. And from right from the beginning, I, I just thought, there is no way Leicester can possibly win this game. They could, they could have the game, they, they could have the, their best game of the season, and Chelsea are still going to win this game because they just look absolutely determined to to get one over on them. So I think they were massively unlucky that game came when it did. Um, also, the, the fact that Tuchel rested some players before the the cup final put a little bit of pressure on them in the league and they knew that game was an absolute must win. Whereas Leicester probably thought, well, if we get a draw here, we're still, we should still be all right going into that one, I I think, personally. Um, So the the timing of that has really hurt them. They've had a lot of injury problems, but a lot of their rivals could say the same thing. And, you know, Liverpool, I'm sure, will be the first to to complain about that. They're not exactly the only team who've lost a lot of key players either. And I think maybe sometimes we underestimate Leicester's depth. Um, If you look at the teams with with bigger budgets below them who finished you know well below them even your sort of your Spurs Arsenal and, and Everton who, who want to be in that that group challenging for the top four you want if you want to compare the squads there you could argue that in in many positions that Leicester are much deeper than than them even though they've spent a lot more money that the, the quality is um, not much different to be fair is it so you know you could say losing people like like Barnes and, and Madison for any stretch of time. Is going to massively hurt a team like Leicester, but I, I don't think it's. I don't think we should underestimate them. I think there is a lot of a lot of quality in that whole squad, and they found a way to win the cup final, which is not a bad consolation prize. I just think did that distract them a little bit at the end of the season? Did did it take anything away from from the league? Would they be in the Champions League if they hadn't had to compete in the cup final as well? I, I wonder about that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Paul, I'll just stay with you in terms of Chelsea then getting uh, fourth on the the final day and three defeats in four now for them. I think it was two defeats in the first 25 under Thomas Tuchel, but one of those was that Champions League uh, second leg with Porto in which they were already leading as well. So are they now in a bit of a wobble and a bad bit of form ahead of the Champions League final? Or do you think it is a case of concentration has just shifted towards that?
2: I wouldn't say that concentration has shifted. Ultimately, finishing in the top four is the minimum requirement for any Chelsea manager. And and Tuchel knew um, as soon as they had a a dodgy spell that his his job would be talked about again suddenly despite getting them into the Champions League final. (laughs) So um, there was definitely pressure there. I, I just think a lot of things... More, or maybe a little overblown about about Chelsea during the run. Did, did we exaggerate how good they were? That they were only kind of sneaking over the line in in many of those games. They weren't blowing teams away. They were being very solid and, and not conceding goals. But at the other end, they've they've struggled to score quite a lot this season. Whether it's whether it's been under Frank or or under Tuchel, and they still lack a, a really reliable goal scorer. Um, Werner is incredibly hit and miss, always offside and does tend to run with his head down a bit and you know doesn't have a great awareness of, of what's around him. I don't particularly think that Kai Havertz is the answer playing as a force nine either. It's a, a good role for him because he gets to roam around and be involved in the play and he gets lots of touches. But is he a ruthless finisher? Is he someone who's got... The vision to to find someone to play that killer ball—it hasn't really worked out that way. The, the games he's played there, it's been other players who, who've, you know, come up big with a with a, a winning goal or or creating a big chance. It hasn't been Kai Havertz. Um, so I think they've got they've got issues. But don't underestimate just how massively important it was for them to sew top four up in in the on the last day because to go into the Champions League final and knowing you don't have to win it to be in the Champions League makes a huge difference. They can, There's a little bit of pressure eased on Chelsea now and I just think we shouldn't read too much into their recent form and, and those defeats that they've had because if you look at how they've played against City lately, they do seem to have a, just a little psychological edge there. Tuchel's found ways to beat City and, and I think In some of these last games, he's been experimenting with things that he's deliberately chosen to do because of this Champions League final. I I don't think for a minute that Rhys James would be playing as a third centre-back unless he had that in mind for the City game. And I think doing that the way he did was a bit of a risk. I mean, people said, oh, he's done that in the the cup final because of... um, the pace Leicester have on on the counter attack, and, and maybe that's fair. But I think I think he had one eye on on the Champions League final there too. So there was an experiment going on even in the in the FA Cup final, for me. And I don't think that game is cut and dried at all for for City. I think that's going to be a very tight game that could be decided just on one mistake or or one moment of magic. So I wouldn't read too much in, into what's happened to Chelsea over the last few weeks. I think that game is right in the balance.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And and Gorsley, on that the the two meetings the clubs have had since Thomas Tuchel's taken over at Chelsea, they have won both the FA Cup semi-final and the league meeting at the Etihad, albeit Man City were very much a dominant side in that game. And I suppose City will go into the game off the back of beating Everton 5-0 with their tails up and uh, wanting to settle a score and finally get their hands on the Champions League trophy.
1: Yeah, I think so. But uh, I agree with Paul. I do think there is something about the way Chelsea have approached Um in Manchester City that they, they do seem to be able to, to have, have their number a little bit I mean it's it's remarkable really that Chelsea Chelsea could be champions of Europe this time next week and and um, the top scorer is Jorginho with, is it 7 or 8 and they're all penalties um, yeah. they're absolutely crying out for a, a proper striker on team team over there. And for me hasn't really struggled I think he is he looks to me like Fernando Torres when he was at his lowest ebb just kind of short on confidence, high on pace uh, and not a lot in between really. Um, I do think they need to address that in the summer and, and of course Chelsea being Chelsea they'll have the money to be able to do that so whoever um, you know Harry Kane did they, they mention that one Erling Haaland there's certainly strikers who could be on the market for Chelsea if, um, if they flex the financial muscles but yeah I think um, I, I agree with a lot of what Paul said there. I mean Reese James for me is a is a uh, Trent Alexander arnold mark too, isn't he? I, I don't see him um, as a specialist right-side at centre-back in a three. I think he's a right-back by trade and, and that's where he's going to be at his best. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this Champions League final now. City absolutely flying, aren't they? Um, they're, they're another team, I suppose, who haven't been overly reliant on on a pure number nine this season. they look at Gundogan's their top scorer with 12 or 13. So, um yeah it's it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fascinating one and, and um it's a tough one from a liverpool perspective it's it's a sophie's choice of who you want to win this you know can, can they both lose unfortunately someone is going to have to lift this european cup and uh, liverpool fans aren't going to be happy with whoever it is but i think probably chelsea is the lesser of the two evils from from their fans perspective but um as a as a kind of tactical um battle it, it's going to be a really interesting one isn't it two of the uh, two of the best tacticians in, in Europe going head to head and uh, I I think City might just might just nick this one I think it's finally finally their time and and it might be uh, City who win the uh, Champions well they will be going for a travel won't be so um, how, how about that for the season
0: yeah, second treble in three years after the domestic treble in 2019. Three titles in four years in the Premier League as well, Paul. It sort of begs a question who can stop Manchester City? But Chelsea may be offering the best clue to that thus far. And it will be the final game for Sergio Aguero as well. He was given the send off at the Etihad after the game. 10 years at Manchester City, 184. Premier League goals, the fourth most overall and the most by any player at a single club. He's been an absolute legend of the Premier League era, hasn't
2: he? What a player, yeah. I mean, the, the, the goals to, to win the, the league will be remembered forever, won't it? All, all, over, all over the place, all over the world. Um, just a phenomenal player who could score all types of goals, both feet, you know, with his head, amazing little darting runs, movement was, was brilliant. He, he's still got some life in him too. I'd, I'd like to see, I mean, if he ends up at Barcelona, what, what, what he could do there. Um, we'll miss him in the Premier League, but he hasn't really played much for City, has he, for, for quite a long time. So this was always kind of on the cards and it's, it's good they gave him a, a, the send-off they did, I suppose, um you know, City fans will will have enjoyed the goals. Everton fans will, will not. <laughs> the way that that game ended, um, but huge servant to the club. And I have to say, on on the the final and, and City, I, I genuinely thought weeks and weeks ago that the way Pep had changed it um, and was able to grind these results out with basically the, the stingiest defence virtually in, in the whole of Europe. Um, nobody really saw that coming, and. I do think that has given them their best chance, possibly they'll ever have, to win the the Champions League this season. The, The only little doubt I have in my mind is that of all the teams they could have drawn, Chelsea are probably the one they really didn't want various reasons I think they Chelsea match up quite well against them and because of the recent record it, you know there, there might be a, a little edge there but I think just about anyone else in Europe if they'd drawn them in the final you'd, you'd expect City to win because they've been so good and, and not good blowing teams away good in being just impossible to stop I mean that 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 back four and the way they defend has just been monumentally good this season. I don't think anyone thought Pep was capable of doing that. I mean, I can remember, you know, some some of the um, more controversial pundits perhaps suggesting that months and months ago that Pep needed someone like a Sam Allardyce to come in there and coach his back four amongst <laughs> the more ridiculous shouts I've ever heard in, in football. But, but you have to remember just how how bad they were defensively for a long, long time. Even in in the seasons when they were blowing teams away, it was still about trying to outscore the opposition. And in Europe, that's very, very hard to do and and to consistently get right. Because eventually you come unstuck in a game where it's tight and the pressure's on and you find it hard to score. And I I think Pep's realised that. I think the last few eliminations in the Champions League were all about City being a bit too cavalier, a bit too gung-ho, just expecting to use their their superior quality and blow a team away and it didn't work which is why they always slipped up he changed it completely this season Diaz has been a massive part of that but it's also the game plan Pep's changed the way they play they're much more conservative and they respond and react quicker when they lose the ball in, in bad areas so I think the way he's changed the setup and the the style of play gives them a a massive chance to win the Champions League this season, which is basically what City always wanted to do. That's why Pep's there. He's not there to win the Premier League really, is he? He's there to win the Champions League. He's there to put them on the map as a world name. Um, But my only slight doubt is I think they would have preferred anyone but Chelsea because Chelsea is the one team you just think might cause them a problem in the final. So before Chelsea got there, I thought this is City's to lose this year. and, And, it makes the final more interesting for me.
0: No, it definitely does. Before we wrap up then, let's get into the Golden Boot winner, also the Playmaker Award winner as well, Harry Kane. 23 goals, 14 assists scores. The outright winner of both, just the second player to win those both outright since Andy Cole in 1994. He's been some player this season for Tottenham, Harry Kane. And uh, well, he's obviously made noises about wanting to move on. And you can understand why, given the numbers he's put up in not a great Spurs side.
1: Yeah, um, unbelievable. Um, world class, elite level striker, isn't he? Um, squeezes so much, so much from himself. And and his, um, his goal yesterday was was some strike, wasn't it? On the volley, the way he just gets that the connection on it, kind of gets his hip over it almost, and, and makes Casper Schmeichel. It was a superb strike that probably not um, too many other strikers in the Premier League would be able to to execute. Um, but well, yeah, he's been unbelievable this season. Um, him and Son at times have really dovetailed superbly, and um, he's well within his rights to, um, to to look for pastures new. I think the only problem for him, I'd suggest, is it's probably not the right summer to be looking for a move that's going to be upwards of 120 million plus. Um, teams are still struggling from the playing an entire season behind closed doors. There's probably only. Um, Three teams, I'd suggest, um, in football who can afford them. One's Paris Saint-Germain, he's not going to go there, is he? The other two are Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, do City need them? Not sure. Um, Pep Guardiola's proven that he can flourish without a, an out-and-out centre-forward. Chelsea certainly, as, as I mentioned there, for me, could could do with a. Top striker and and that that does seem to fit the bill. But I I, I just don't I just don't see him leaving this summer. I think he, he obviously wants to, but um, I think he might be forced to hold on another twelve months. By then, he what will he be then? Nearly twenty nine, possibly. Um, he, he might have just left it too late. He, he possibly should have been looking to do this two or three years ago, and um, he deserves to, to to finish his career with big trophies because. He's well. He'll go down as one of the best strikers in the Premier League, and I think if he does move to City, Alan Shearer's goal goal tally is seriously under threat. But um, I'm just worried for him. This might be a little bit, you know, too little, too late for him. And um, he stays another twelve months, and and he finishes with nothing to show for for the season again at Tottenham. Um, but there's no no doubt about it. He's a he's a superb striker.
0: Yeah, he's 94 now off Alan Shearer's Premier League record, but signed a six-year contract three years ago, Paul. Of was saying there he's worked ever so hard on his game to squeeze what he can out of it to be the best player he can. He's going to have to work ever so hard to get himself out of Tottenham this summer, isn't
2: he? It's a problem for him, that contract. Um, I I know why he signed it, and I'm sure he believed that Tottenham were going to take the the, the next step when he did. So you can't... um, You can't argue he made a mistake and that his game plan has since backfired on his game plan or anything. But it all went so spectacularly wrong under Poch really after the the Champions League um, final defeat uh, that we know last summer he he was already telling friends he he needed to get out and he, he couldn't see how Tottenham were going to get back to those heights, that it was a massive problem for them. So. The, the idea that he might have given, he, he might have believed he was giving Spurs one more season so that he could leave this summer is a is a very believable one, frankly. Um, he was because he, he, I know for a fact he was deeply, deeply unhappy last summer, and there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and in in the dressing room at Spurs that was making it a very a very miserable place um, to go to Mourinho um, as your manager. I think was Spurs kind of last big effort to try and push them straight back up to where they thought they should be. And and I think it was an attempt to get Kane to stay and it's just gone horribly wrong, really. Um, He's given that club so much, Harry Kane. He's he's played, you know, he's played through the pain of injury. He's come back too soon to try and push them on. you can't fault what he's done there. And, and there is, the guy obviously wants to win trophies and I'm, I'm sure there might be even some Spurs fans out there who wouldn't be, who wouldn't begrudge him that chance, but it, it would, it, it's such a huge thing for Spurs to let him go. I mean, they've done this before, haven't they? With, with Gareth Bale and, and look what happened. They signed the the seven players and, and he just didn't, it just, it didn't work. You, you can't replace someone who's that important to your team. Even if they get 120 million for him, which is unlikely this summer, who do you sign to replace, you know, the guy who scored the most goals and has the most assists in the Premier League? It's almost an impossible job. Um the thing about Kane that, that people don't always appreciate sometimes, I think, is that if you think back to that Champions League run, I think that's where he really he really came into his own, which might seem a strange thing to say when the guy can score 20, 30 goals a, a season on a regular basis in the in you know what many would claim is the, the best league in the world. But if you look back at some of those games against the really top level clubs they played, Spurs, um what most impressed me about Kane was that he'd go without the ball for for 10 or 15 minutes against, you know, a team who who were dominating Spurs in, in those matches, a really quality high-class, top European team. There, was, there were several of these games, if you look if you look back. And then he'd suddenly receive it, and he'd take two touches and do something world-class. Not always something that makes you go, wow, look at that, but he, he would just find exactly the right thing to do at the right time. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is, is a sign of someone who's... You can score 30 goals a season in the Premier League and be amazing, right? But that is another skill, another string to your bow that a lot of players don't have to be able to, to go without the ball for that long and then suddenly do something like that that's amazing. And that's the difference between some teams winning big games and not winning them because you can be a prolific goal scorer, but you can be scoring three or four against the lesser teams in the Premier League or, you know, teams from Latvia or Lithuania in in the Europa League. It's when you come across Real Madrid and, Barcelona and and Bayern Munich in the Champions League, can you take that one chance? Can you do something special when you haven't had the ball for, for 10 minutes? Harry Kane can, and, and sadly, he's not going to get the chance to do that with Spurs. They're not in the Champions League next year. They look a million miles off qualifying for the Champions League this year. I can't see that there's going to be another massive spend this summer for him. They're obviously going to try and, and change the squad up a little bit, but... They spent a lot of money in the last few windows and I I can't see that with with the stadium to be paid for and all the the problems with COVID that Spurs can go out and and spend another couple of hundred million to keep Harry Kane happy. So, you know, if if he wants to be playing in in those big games at the ultimate top level, he is going to need to find a way out because I don't think he has the patience to wait for, for Spurs to build it back up to that again slowly. The strange thing is it seems pretty clear he wants to go to City. And if you were Harry Kane and you had a choice of all the the clubs in the Premier League who could afford you, you, obviously you would choose City. You're almost guaranteed to win trophies, aren't you? And for someone who, who really wants to do that, it's the place to go. But I actually think in a strange way, he's a better fit at United. There is something about the style of play at the two clubs and the the way those two clubs are set up that I think Harry Kane would somehow thrive better at United than he would at City. I'm I'm not sure he's a natural fit for Pep's way of playing and in that system. And Pep has said he's on record publicly saying that they won't spend huge amounts of money on a striker. Look, it's clear that he's trying to muddy the waters there a little bit and they are genuinely in for Harry Kane. But I think that. It's it's not guaranteed to be a success. That move. A lot of people think, oh, it's Harry Kane. He's the the best striker in the Premier League. Going if you go to the best team, of course it'd be brilliant. I'm I'm not totally sure that is that is exactly the right fit. He'd have to learn a completely different new way of, of playing going to, to Man City. And I know Harry Kane can do that. I'm just saying it, it it would take a little a little bit of work for it to to be right. And, and I'm not saying he should go to United. I just think. Naturally, as, as the kind of way they play and, and the way they set a team up, it
0: might be a better fit for him. I'm not sure United can afford no. him either, but you know, that's, that's no, I get the point you're making there. No, uh, I completely agree. Well, uh, that's it from us for this edition of the Football Digest Extra Time. There'll be plenty of podcasts to come across the course of the summer here on the Mirror Football YouTube channel and across the Football Digest podcast feed. But from Paul Brown, Paul Gorse to myself, Guy Clark, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now.